everyone. I'm Steve Bogner, Managing Partner at Insight Consulting Partners. Today here talking with Luke Marson and, and Mark Ingram. Hi, guys. Hello. Gonna, yeah, we're hey. going to talk about, um, you know, I hate to say best practices as a consultant. I really don't like that term because what's best for one customer is not always the best for another. So I'm going to say good practices. I'm going to talk about good practices, lessons learned, um, tips and tricks, whatever you want to uh, describe it about um, how to do implementations well with success factors, with uh, the talent and with Employee Central. Um, you know, it's a, a big topic these days. A lot of people uh, converting to and implementing various modules of success factors. And, and I think there is some uh, transition still in the marketplace. You know, I think there are still a number of consulting partners coming at it with more of a waterfall approach or, a, you know, um, will you tell us what you want and we do it from scratch sort of like a um the good old days or the old days at least of the r3 implementations and then other partners are coming at it from a a, a more agile and more, more cloud-based methodology and um so i, I kind of want to talk about that guys and and also your experiences for what works well both from a customer perspective and from a consulting perspective so um, Luke, I'll, I'll open it open it up with you, and uh, you know what are some of the things you would tell customers uh, and even consultancies to keep in mind and to practice for um, when they implement success factors or or cloud HR. What are some uh, the things you would advise them to do, and, and maybe just as importantly, of what not to do? Well, Steve, cloud projects are not totally different from on-premise projects. At the end of the day, it's all about implementing an enterprise software solution, whether that's uh, HR or finance or whatnot, and whether that's cloud or on-premise. Now, of course, we're aware that there are differences to the way that these products are delivered, the iterative approach, and the fact that there's a stronger focus maybe on integrations means that there are, um, there are things that, that have to be considered. Change management is always something that needs to be considered. Just because a cloud solution might be easier to use, it's more intuitive, it's still, it's still not the most simple thing to use in every case. There are still certain complexities. And I'm sure that if I watched a tutorial on how to use Facebook or how to use LinkedIn, there's a lot of things that I would learn, even though those solutions are you know, pretty easy to use. So uh, I think customers shouldn't be underestimating the change management effort required, especially if they're going to be pushing out more self-service capabilities to managers or to employees or even to HR business partners, for example. And, and data migration, uh, you know, that along with change management, they're not new to the cloud, but they're certainly things that have a strong impact still. And we know that data migration is not easy, and even if you're migrating from you know, SAP to, say, Employee Central, and you use the data migration package that SAP provides, there's still a lot of effort around that, and there are still certain elements that have to be manually done. So either you've got to fill in the uh, import templates manually, or you have to write a custom program to export the data. You know, there's all of these sort of things, and of course, there's, there's education that goes along with that, because you know, the client knows their data best, they know their business best, so we have to work constantly educating the customer as we go along. Uh, you know, to help them be able to build a change management strategy, to help them with data migration, just to help them learn the application and be able to speak with their 
their colleagues, their business partners to, to speak with managers as they're, as they're designing the solution and as they're trying to get the input through the different iterations. And, and just as we go through the whole process with quarterly releases and then to you know, post-go-live support, a knowledge transfer and content education is, is a critical aspect. And customers should be looking to learn constantly as they go throughout these projects. Well, I think you have some great points there. Change management and data migration are always two of the things that seem to take more time and effort than what we uh, expect. You know, that, I think that's often the case. And, um, you know, change management, again, it, I think it depends a lot on the company's culture, too. Uh, you know, change programs that work in one company aren't going to work the same in another. So um, I think that's another thing that we have to be sensitive to. You know, how, how do we impact change management in a company? And you know, what works for them. And um, I think sometimes customers don't even have a, a very good handle on that themselves because, you know, they don't do this every day, do they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but if you can guide and advise the client early and highlight the need for that, then it's definitely something they can get a handle with. And, and even if it starts off slow, it should start early. But it doesn't need to start at, at light speed at the beginning of a project. It's something that can gradually be introduced as they learn more about the solution and they start to understand the key elements that they're going to need to communicate with, you know, with all the different people and different stakeholders across their business. So, Mark, what would you say are some of the things um, you, know, you would advise people to do and, and not to do with their implementations? First of all, I agree with Luke, especially I think sometimes when we talk on podcasts, our our, what we talk about is sometimes colored by what we're currently going through on our own projects. So I would say, for example, with data migration, you've got to go with Wayne Gretzky and go wherever, go wherever Puck is going and not where you've been. Meaning, you know, mm -hmm. often you get clients that they want to have their existing system replicated with the same structure and, um, and they want to have fields basically created um, for the purposes of importing them and tracking what was in the old system, whereas... Usually, it's a completely different way of doing things in success factors, and um, or often, and uh, basically, mm -hmm. yes, you need to archive and keep existing systems, but at the same time, you know, you've got to you've got to move in a you've got to follow the trend in the direction of where the product is going to get the best out of it, rather than try to push against it. So that's that's one thing. You know, one thing that I've learned is when I first started doing success factors, I was just doing you know, a single module recruiting. Um, but as soon as you start jumping um, into a project where you're just one module of many, such as Employee Central, recruiting marketing, for example, or, or onboarding was a typical mix you'd go with, with recruiting, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. you're, the, the importance of the same things that you did in the SAP world become much more important. So the on-premise world, you know, the... Uh, having an extremely well-aligned project plan with the other modules, making sure you're reaching the right touch points at the same time. So, you know, for example, you know, at what point are we going to connect recruiting marketing? And at that stage in the process, will, or will we be on a preview instance or production instance and all kinds of considerations, which when you're just doing one module, you can... Uh, you can kind of wing it a little bit if you know you're if you know what you're doing. But as soon as you're starting to get other parties involved, it's getting much more where you need it um, exactly the same um, the same gates and the same project plan and the same task coordination as you would have had in an SAP, except there's a lot less development. And uh, I think that that was an interesting 
thing, which should have been obvious to me uh, because I spent a while just doing single modules. And um, I would say that with success factors, I think we we'll never go back to having quite the same um, project management requirements as with uh, you know development um, projects. But I would I would say that um, the the alignment is still really really important. And one one thing I would also say is not just from a project perspective, but you know the individual module owners. Um, getting aligned from a very, from, you know, at stage gate saying, okay, I'm at this point, this is what I'm looking to see from your module. I know you're not there yet, but you need to mm -hmm. keep this in mind and, and so on. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's, um, you know, the more moving pieces you have, the more alignment you need. And um, sometimes it's easy to lose track of that internal sort of uh, alignment and integration on a project. So it, it is important. Yeah, Mark makes two excellent points there um, that I wanted to build on. Definitely, yeah, uh, the whole multi-module approach um, is is definitely something to be considered. You know, if you're implementing Employee Central and the customer's already got recruiting or compensation or both, you have to start looking at those early and take into account. You know, when's the compensation cycle going to be starting? Because we may have to do some integration work, and and there may be a change to the compensation process, and that's something we're going to have to look at early, so we can work mm -hmm. with the comp team and make sure that we get all of that in place, in time for them to be able to to do the process, or whether we actually have to push that off, maybe to two three months after the project's gone live, so that they can complete an open, uh, an, uh, an open an open uh, uh, cycle. Uh, the other thing is something that I've come across quite a lot, um, you know, and, and different projects and speaking to different consultants, are the number of consultants that 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 um, uh, to use a, a a recent term from Dennis Howlett are, are the legacy thinkers, the the consultants that go on site and say, well, in in SAP we did this, oh well, in SAP we did that. Um, oh well, well, this is how we do it in SAP. You know, they're always looking back to SAP, or they're always trying to to do the same design they did in SAP because that's what they know, and not you know looking back rather than looking forward um, to to how they can do a fresh design, how they can maybe optimize a process, how how they can you know you know I wouldn't say convince, but how they can get the the customer thinking about doing something in a new way and taking advantage of those new technologies and those new capabilities and the new ways in which they can deliver a process which they couldn't do before and, and it's a concern with that that too many too many of the old sap hcm on premise consultants are just going to end up rebuilding sap hcm in the cloud and customers are not going to see the value of 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 a cloud solution yeah. So what what I think is I think that's a natural thing that the brand does, in that you always try to you always try to build on top of what you already know. But that's something to learn and develop in your own in your in your own time, and not you know present that kind of um, story in front of in front of the client because you need to. The client's also going to have to go through the same changes in how they think, and if you if you as the expert show up and you're still referencing the old way of doing things, and you're not really giving them the best in, in helping them to adapt, right? Yeah, I, I agree. And I'd say this is this is a, an age-old consulting issue. Um, you know, before it was SAP consultants uh, moving to success factors and duplicating SAP, we had people from mainframe legacy vendors like Dun & Bradstreet and... Um, integral and people like that 
who were coming into SAP and they were duplicating what those old systems did into SAP. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a transitional thing. And I, I think you're right, Mark, you, as a consultant, you really have to work on it yourself and, and figure out, okay, what, what are the capabilities and the strengths and weaknesses of the software I'm currently working with? How do I leverage that to get the best solution for the customer? instead of just duplicating what I've always done before. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a burden on the consultants, I think. One of the things I wanted to, to get some feedback on too, and I have my own um, preferences on this and my own ideas of, of what works, but um, what's, a, what's a good level of on-site versus remote consulting um, that you guys would, would recommend or you know, how would you gauge the right amount of, of on-site versus remote work for a given that's, project? That's a really difficult question. So from, from my own selfish perspective, I love to be home. Um, but um, I, think that, I think that it's, it's, not a, it's not a percentage, but it's more a, a, a key points in the, in, the, um, in the project based upon deliverables or wherever's... Um, any room for interpretation and discussion requirements. So, you know, typically you've got uh, your, your kickoff. Um, mm -hmm. if, if there are any testing um, in an iteration that requires um, supervision and hand-holding, that would be another one. Surprisingly, unlike the on-premise world, it seems like um, the actual go-live is where you seem to get the least requests for on-site. It's kind of like a... I would say a non-event followed by a little bit of uh, support. Uh, what do you think, Luke? I see a little bit more uh, from an employee central perspective, at least in terms of on-site for go live and and the you know the, the week or so after go live. But I, I, I agree with you on two points. One, I love to be I love to be home, but also that there is no percentage or no fixed time of, to be on site. I definitely come from a background where I believe that face-to-face -face interaction um, and being there with, with somebody in the room is the best way of getting things done. For design sessions, I couldn't imagine doing two to three weeks of um, employee central workshops remotely. Um, I couldn't, you know, for integration workshops, I couldn't imagine not, not being there. Now the integration side can maybe then a little a little more easily remote, but you know the iteration demos, the testing, the you know the the just being able to wander someone's desk and saying oh, I just had these couple of queries um, that I wanted to check with you, that sort of thing's much easier to do remote um, because I think I, I think that people tend to want to organize their time when they're from home and they want to slot in a, a call here or they have to organize a meeting or have to send an email. Very few people just pick up the phone and call you. Well, when you're on site, they'd be more than happy to just wander over and talk to you. Mm -hmm. So it, it's finding that balance. You know, I, I don't believe in 100% on site and I don't believe in 100% off site. I tend to find it's somewhere in the middle, at least for core HR. I tend to find it's probably, you know, 40 to 65%, depending on the, on the type of customer and the type of complexity. I think for the for the talent projects I've seen, it's definitely more feasible to to do more offsite, um, given given that some of them can be can be less complex. But again, I, I just believe it varies from module to module and how much effort, and from customer to customer. 
But right. I, I think any customer who's told that their consultants are, are, are going to basically turn up on site twice in the length of a project should be extremely concerned about the value that they're going to get from those consultants. There are very few mm-hmm. consultants that can do a very good job remotely. Um, there are some. They do exist. But, but uh, from what I've seen, they are few and far between. I would also say that it depends on the culture of the customer because if it's if it's fair already um, decentralized and used to using technology yeah. to communicate and they you know they something that's not worth a phone call but might be worth a Skype message for example or 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 with phone call, calls equally just willing to just pick up the phone whenever or be available rather than having to sit with people it's very much on the I guess consultant and the company culture um, I did. I did a six months uh, recruiting project, which also had onboarding and recruiting marketing last year. And I think because of um, costs, um, it, we the consultants were never requested to be on site. So I did a six month project with um, zero on site, and it it actually was very successful. But that could be an outlier. And next, if I tried that with a different client that had a different culture, it might not work. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the culture aspect, Mark. I was gonna bring that up and you, you beat me to it because it's, it's, I think it's critical. Um, and that as a consultant, we have to, to gauge the, the culture of the client and, you know, how do we get things done? How do we communicate? How do we get things done effectively? Luke, like you were talking about with some questions and some types of people, it's really, uh, efficient and effective just to drop by their desk and say, Hey, well, what about this? Right. And have a little conversation about that. Um, and, you know, I know with, with some customers, especially when it comes to um, design and, and figuring out, um, you know, how we're going to do something, having that face-to-face um, contact, you know, you, you, you lose a lot in, in facial expressions and, and, and body language when you're working remote. And, um, you know, I, I recognize, too, that this is part of, uh, part of my my own preference um, in that uh, I tend to communicate better that way. I, I, I connect with people better in person than I do over the phone. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's both ways. It goes both ways. Yeah. So I just remembered I had a contrary example to my previous one. Okay. So I had a much, a much simpler project, which was just a single module and not very complicated requirements, but the same people doing the, doing the recruiting were also the people on the project and, they were very understaffed, and mm-hmm. they, weeks went by of asking if they test, if they tested, had they tested, and in the end, I realized that all they needed was for me to offer to be on site, so that they had a meeting, so that they wouldn't be able to answer their phones or be recruiting, and they'd be, they'd be shut away in, in a conference room with me. So the, simply the act of being on site and actually having structured meetings gives them the time that they need to be able to do things like testing or, or mm-hmm. helping with requirements. So that, that's yep. really, it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a good point, actually, about the way that it gives the customer focus. The fact that they will, yeah, they, they, they will put time aside. Oh, the consultant's coming this week. Right, let's mm-hmm. make sure we've got a, a room aside. Let's put some meetings in. Let's do this. It does draw focus to the project, and it's an excellent point that, that Mark brings up. Mm-hmm. No, I would say for the hundred percent on on site, that's it's not a with success factors. It's not a possibility because um, projects are usually less resource intensive. So instead of having mm-hmm. one big customer before, you know, I have four at a time right now. Um, mm-hmm. 
And, you know, even when I, I went on site last week, and even then, I had to politely in advance say I'm going to need um, I'm going to need to step out occasionally to do productions, <laughs> to do production support. And I have scheduled uh -huh. meetings that I need to step out for. And they're okay because, you know, they're, it's not an exclusive relationship. Um, but it just, it just, it's interesting in the old world where you would have a on premise and a one full time project, you'd mm -hmm. be sat in your cubicle on site. Um, often you, 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 you're, when you're not doing meetings, you, you're thinking, oh, I could have been home doing this. But um, it, I think it, it, there is a lot more focus on site when you're doing it less and when it's focused around a certain topic rather than as a customer, we just like to have you there every week. And sometimes you may go, you know, a day without any meetings and you're, you're sat yeah. there physically if, in case they need you. It's, it's kind of yeah. like a, an assurance yeah. to them, you know. I've had customers like that who, who said, you know, we just feel better when you're on site. I've heard that sometimes in the so in success factors, as you know, um, part of part of the requirements governing is around using a structured Excel workbook uh, right. to, get, to gather fields and so on. And uh, I I I heard there are cases where um, basically the workbook is simply given to the client after just talking talking through it, and the client <laughs> being expected to fill it out. Uh, have you two seen any any cases like that? And usually, um, I've seen I've seen cases where a client is kind of eager to get going and they're jumping ahead of me and they want to help with the workbooks. And I've I've seen other cases where it really scares clients to just be faced with these huge amount of worksheets with detailed questions, and that's mm -hmm. expected to build a system without any um, context or explanation. Yeah. I'm going to repeat my famous line of the podcast. Mark made an excellent point there. <laughs> I think Mark's full of them today. Um, I don't know what he's he full of something. It, he is. <laughs> um, yeah, the whole the whole workbook thing is. It seems to just be assumed that in the cloud, you just give someone a workbook and they fill it in, and that's it. Which I think mm -hmm. is 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 a terrible approach. Um, on, uh, if I go back to Employee Central, you can't just give a customer four workbooks and expect them to fill them out. Um, it just doesn't work. The customers don't understand it. They don't know what they're filling out. They don't have any guidance. What I've tended to do in my projects is to do scoping workshops and fill those in for the customer as we go through. Um, mm -hmm. And also put, provide additional documentation, like a business rules or the generic objects, and even uh, you know a, a kind of requirements walkthrough or, or maybe what's more like a traditional blueprint alongside that so that there is a full set of information, you know, reporting blueprint and whatnot. And uh, and essentially, we own the workbooks mm -hmm. for for the entire process and fill them in with their changes so that we can ensure that they are consistent, so we can ensure they're filled in right, but so that the customer doesn't sit there and you know scratch in their head at what they're expecting to do. Now, some modules have easier workbook workbooks than others, but I would expect the good consultant to actually spend the time filling it in with the consult with the customer as part of a workshop or doing it afterwards mm -hmm. um that's my belief anyway i know that that differs from certain from certain consultancies to consultancies um but definitely there's a value in in having the consultants fill those in yeah yeah i i agree and i would say that that's not specific to success factors either um yeah, i've seen that on a lot of outsourcing projects i've done where we outsource to uh, uh a managed services firm and you know 
like like you said, Luke, you know, there's the workbooks and, and some of them just say, well, here, fill out the workbooks and uh, then we'll set up the system and we'll do uh, user acceptance testing. And that doesn't really work. That doesn't really work. And, and it's really consulting malpractice to do it that way, in my opinion, because, um, you know, as, as you work with a customer, you will find things that can't really be reflected accurately or fully in a workbook. And um, you're also going to, I think, miss some opportunities by not having those sorts of conversations and probing questions. You'll miss the opportunities to put something better together for your customer than if you just sort of let them um, fumble their way through the workbook. Yeah, and the workbooks don't have context. Yeah. So yeah. it can be hard to understand why something's been done. You know, both sides as well, whether you're giving the workbook or you're getting a workbook, if there's no context mm -hmm. there, it doesn't it, it doesn't always mean things are gonna get done right. Which yeah. is one of the points of having this whole iterative process is you get it right, but you don't want to miss out on one of those those opportunities because nobody understood what it was that they were filling in or what it was. And and designing a system is more than just filling in a a, a bunch of Excel spreadsheets and defining a bunch of fields. That's not what an implementation is about, and that's not mm -hmm. how you're going to get um, good processes either. So there exactly. has to be more of it than that, and, and the workbooks are just a way of capturing part of the requirements. And we should yep. be happy for that, otherwise the machines would replace us, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> just a matter of time, Mark. Matter of time. That's what they say, right? Robots are going to replace us all. Well, guys, thanks for all the conversation today. It was uh, good to have you and good to talk about this. We're going to splice this together with um, some other uh, comments from Sven and from Jarrett and hopefully put together a podcast that makes sense. We'll see. Well, I'm not going to do the introduction again. We'll just get started here because, um, you know, we're editing this all together. So good morning, Jarrett. Thanks for joining again. It's Glad been, to be here. Yeah, it's been a little while. You've been busy. I've been busy. It's just hard to fit these things in sometimes. Yeah, busy is a good thing, you know, but uh, you got to respect the work-life balance, and uh, that's always something that I've been uh, a pretty big proponent on. So, yep. But I'm glad to be back uh, with my podcast friends. Yep. So, um, you know, what what I want to do is talk about what are some things customers should look for now? I mean, are, are, are we looking at the same things as, as we did before, you know, uh, with consultant qualifications and, you know, how to pick your uh, consulting firm and you know, methodologies and things like that, but just kind of wanted to refresh it here in light of success factors and cloud and hybrid. So, Jarrett, what are some things you would recommend to customers that they do to uh, make sure that they have a good implementation? One thing you have to understand is that us as consultants, we deal with customers every day. The vendor, they deal with customers every single day. Customers typically are making a software purchase or doing an implementation um, every four to six years, sometimes longer, depending on, on, on the type of customer they are, where they're coming from. And, and what you have to understand is that a lot of things are changing. Mm -hmm. when, when a lot of customers went and did their software selection process, it was 10 years ago. They were using, you know, they, you, if you're trying to come up with that same outdated RFP and, and some of these other things for your cloud implementation, you're already starting down the wrong path. So one of the things I stress for customers is, you want to go in these, into these discussions with knowledge. Uh, knowledge is a very powerful thing. Um, knowledge will be what will help you select the right software product. Um, there's lots of choices out there. Uh, 
you want to be able to pick the top two choices you want and you want to have them do a dog and pony show for you. Once you've selected the vendor, now you need to select a consulting firm. That consulting firm that you've been partnered with for your on-premise implementation may not have the cloud skills necessary to do your implementation. But how do you find that out? Every customer, every, every vendor is going to say they're the greatest thing from sliced bread. Every consulting firm is going to say that they have all the experts that you need. And that's just part of the industry and how it's always been. Yeah, it's always and been that way. Yeah, I it's mean, this, been that way. 20 years ago it was that way, right? <laughs> right. And so, you know, the key here is if you become knowledgeable beforehand, you're going to go down, start going down the right path of doing the things that will enable you to have a successful implementation. And so the question I always get is, how? How, how do we get started? You know, and to me, you, if you put the time in on the front end of these projects and by learning and by doing the things and by looking at your business processes and, and getting, your, getting, getting your own house in order before you start the implementation, you save so much time and effort and pain during the implementation. So at the end of the day, the work has to be done at, at some point. Mm -hmm. You have to look at your business processes. Now, do you need a consulting firm to come in and tell you, you know, what they claim is the best practice? And you might be able to tell by my tone there yeah. that, that I think a lot of that is BS, recycled, uh, mm -hmm. uh, things that are just going to cost you a lot of dollars. You, in my opinion, most companies do not need a success factors or an SAP consultant to go through and tell them how to run their business. Now there are cases where they need to, to say things that the system can and can't do. So I do see some value there, but as far as you know your processes that were custom built 15 years ago aren't always the best practice today. And, and I've had some customers that would argue that it's giving them a competitive advantage to pay five executives some unique way that no one in the industry does. And no. you know that's not true. You don't gain competitive advantage by how you do transactional HR. I, exactly. I really don't believe that. I think the way you uh, have any advantage there is just by uh, driving the cost downs and driving the quality up, right? Do it better for less. That's, that's with the transactional system, I think that's just the strategy. So, so, in my, so in my opinion, what customers should start to do is before you're going to embark on this journey, go out, go to ASOC, go to conferences, start to ask the questions, talk to other customers, find out what other customers in your industry. It's amazing how other customers will be willing to share information, obviously not confidential information, but mm -hmm. customers out there are willing to talk to other customers and these aren't don't always talk to the references you're getting from the vendor. Now, of course, you do want to talk to those, but branch out, out, out further than that. Of course, if, if a vendor or consulting firm is giving you a reference, and by all means, check those references. If they don't have those references, it is red flag galore right there. But assuming they do have those references, move to that next level. Find out who in your industry is doing it, um, and, and find out what are the things that that they've learned. What are the lessons learned? Because the first thing you want to do is you don't want to recreate those mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing is start to put together a project team. You know, and I've seen companies do this two different ways. And, and I've seen some companies say, oh, let's get these people that aren't busy right now in our organization. Let's put them on the project. The right approach is get your best people in, in your organization. Mm -hmm. Figure out how to backfill them in their current roles and have them be 
either part-time or full-time members of the project team. Mm -hmm. yep. um, these are the people that are going to be able to make the tough decisions that are needed right away. It, you, if not, you're going to spend thousands of extra hours of consulting, re, consulting time when consultants just sit around and are waiting for these decisions to be made. At, at the end of the day, for most companies, just need a decision maker to make the decision. Yep. Or sometimes the consultant will end up making the decision without really having, uh, without telling the customer a whole lot about it. But, you know, you make the decision so you can move on and get the project done. And, you know, and, you know, th at that point, you're at the mercy of that consultant's knowledge and experience. So exactly. sometimes they'll make the, a good decision for the customer. But if you have uh, someone who's pretty green or new, um, they can end up doing some some significant damage to the project. Right, and that's a, you know, a dirty little secret of the success factors world right now is that it is the hot area. Many SAP consultants are trying to move into the success factors arena. Um, a lot of them have great SAP experience, and if you're coming from SAP to success factors, that's some valuable experience to have. But at the end of the day, there's decisions that have to be made on the success factor side, and, and you could be dealing with someone that has, you know, Maybe one implementation. Maybe they don't even have an implementation. Maybe they just got their certification. And, and not saying that they're not great consultants, and but part of being a great consultant, I think, is understanding the business side of things, mm -hmm. but is also understanding the technology. So mm -hmm. I see so many consultants out there that understand the technology, and I'm speaking from an SAP side, but also now they have to have that same knowledge on the success factor side. But then the other side of that is really understanding the business because the business is not going to be able to explain to a consultant things in technical terms. That's why you're a consultant. Your job is to understand both sides of the equation and mm -hmm. provide the customer options and not really just telling them, hey, this, this is how it has to be. But the customers have to understand that sometimes those options involve them having to change the process on how they did things. And, and I often say, like you said, if these, pre if these transactions are not able to be supported in your new system. Go back and look and say, did we really need this? And I'll give you some great examples. As I, as I know some customers that are moving, big customers that are moving from SAP to Employee Central. There's hundreds of info types. It's a global company. Hundreds of info types where data can be stored in SAP. Mm -hmm. There's not always a corresponding place to put them in Employee Central. And of course, you can create custom fields and do all that. But you have to step, step back on some of these things and say, there was a field for it. We put data in there 15 years ago. We're not running any reports on it. Even if it's there, we're not doing anything actionable with it. Do we really need it in our new system? And to be mm -hmm. honest, those are decisions in a lot of, for a lot of companies that are a lot harder to make than, than you'd think because they have a piece of data. They feel like they want it. Mm -hmm. don't really know using it. You know, those are the things that I think the progressive companies, they start to look at on the front side and start to say, what do we really, what are the core things we need this system to do? And also keep in mind that, okay, we might step back two or three places, but also we're going to step forward in five or ten places. We're going to get great workflow. We're going to get a better user experience for our administrators and our employees. We're going to have more mobile functionality. I mean, with today's workforce, those three things alone are, are such huge advantages that, hey, you have to step back in one or two processes, you know, in the whole scheme of things, how, how big a deal really is that? Mm -hmm. 
Well, yeah, you're really talking about managing change management, right? You're, you're talking about how do we um, change how we do things, not only just rolling that out to users of the system, but how do we change what we do internally to make more sense with the software we have? And, you know, that's, that's, that's a great point. And I've seen that my whole career, and, and it's just, I think, um, part of it's human nature, right? Like you were saying, well, we have this field and we've always had this field and this data was important. That's why we created this field. Um, but yeah, so life moves on, right? It has to move on. And, yeah. and, and, that's, and, and, the, and the thing is, is we talk about, you know, if you start off getting your smartest people on the team, you spend the time to get them knowledgeable before the implementation. These are the people that understand your business. Now, the next step is, have them in on the software selection process. Uh, you know, just because you're an Oracle customer doesn't mean you should go to Oracle Fusion. Just because you're an SAP customer, it doesn't mean SuccessFactors is the right answer for you. Now, I will say that if you're a full SAP shop and you're moving to the cloud, going to SuccessFactors probably makes more sense just due to the integration back to your ERP system. But that said, have another vendor at the table. Let them, let them, I mean, there's so many advantages for a customer to have two vendors at the table. Now, that, yeah, competition is good for the customer, for sure. Competition is good for the customer, and there are some competitive options out there. And, and, but really go through and understand, and, and don't let the competition come in and tell you, oh, integration's easy, oh, we have all this integration, because everyone knows that's not true. In a, you know, we've been harping a bit on cases where the integration between, you know, success factors and SAP back and forth isn't always as good as we'd like to see it, but it's a thousand times better than any integration between a competitor mm -hmm. and SAP because there is no integration. And mm -hmm. so really, really keep that in mind, but go through the dog and pony show, really understand what you want with the vendor. And then once you've picked the vendor, now move on to the next step. And I think... You know, maybe we're biased here, but I think your consulting firm selection, first of all, is a big decision that you want your smartest people in your organization to make that decision, as well as just because you've chosen a name, whether it be Accenture, Deloitte, uh, you know, one of the success factors providers, make sure you move on to the next level of that and interview each consultant that they're going to put on your team. And, and one of the things I find amazing is that if a consulting firm knows they can put anyone on your project, they'll, they'll, they'll you'll if get you're a big anyone. customer, yeah. you may get a couple very good people, but you'll also get some people that are learning on the job. If they know that you're a smart customer and you're interviewing every person, you're asking them a lot of questions and, hey, I did, that, that, that consultant wasn't qualified for what we're looking for, I find that they'll bring a lot higher caliber of consultants to your project because they know you're watching. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, the partner, after you've rejected one or two consultants, doesn't want to look bad either, so he's going to make sure you get better. So it's a very simple thing, but it's amazing how many customers out there do not do the technical interviews mm -hmm. and check references. And so yeah. you don't have to be a super knowledgeable to do, do technical references. And uh, technical interviews, I mean, I do technical interviews sometimes where I'm just asking questions on payroll, asking, you know, what is a 940? What is a 941? Now, mm -hmm. if you're a consultant that doesn't know what that is and you're doing a tax reporter project, I can tell that you haven't done that before because <laughs> you would have to know what those things are. So don't get intimidated that, that you don't know 
you're not really doing a technical interview as far as they're doing all the switches and stuff. You're asking the things that they should know, and you can even ask them in business terms. And then the other big one that customers don't do is don't check references. Ask for two references at where that consultant's been. And if they can't provide that, then that's a bit of a red flag there mm -hmm. because any good consultant that's been on, you know, if they're claiming, say, 10 projects, they should have two customers that are willing to say good, say good things about them. And so don't trust the resume. And the other thing is go out to LinkedIn. It's amazing how many um, resumes I've seen over the years that are made to fit the job. So it's a payroll job and all of a sudden someone that has a whole bunch of ESS experience or MSS or uh, personal administration now suddenly on the resume it has a lot of payroll experience. Yeah. So so don't don't just assume that don't make assumptions, and it's yeah. just like if we were getting a quote for our, you know a, a project in our backyard, we'd ask for a couple references and we'd check. And because once you get the right people, it's going to help your project. And the other big thing is, if you get a person, and you start to have that feeling in your in your stomach, like, wow, does this person really know? You know, you trust your int intuition mm -hmm. sometimes, and, and don't just because you brought a consultant on. Don't don't feel like you're you're married with them for the next six months. If they're not working out. Yeah. Hey, it's better off a month in to 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 cut bait and and, mm -hmm. and get someone else in there. Yeah, you know I I help customers check references too, Jarrett, and like you said, LinkedIn is a good tool. Um, but also, you know I've and I've I know I've emailed you numerous times. It's like, okay, Jarrett, I, I know that this customer was yours too. This guy says he was there. Tell me about him, right? So, um, you know, checking with your colleagues makes a big difference. And the neat thing, Steve, is is the cloud technology has some great aspects to it. But all these underlying things have been there since the on-premise days. And, and customers, you know, it, it's easy to get caught up in the hype and the excitement of everything and the cloud's going to change and everything. And there are some things it definitely does a lot better than on-premise. But understand, all these things going around it are still there. You're, if you if you if you have if you have crazy business processes, you're going to struggle in the cloud. If you don't have good change management, you're going to struggle in the cloud. Mm -hmm. The undercurrents of the vendor ecosystem, the consulting ecosystem, bad consultants, good consultants, those all still exist in the cloud world. So just because you know, just because your CHRO or your CIO is saying we're going to the cloud, mm -hmm. don't just believe that all those other things go away. And then the other big one that. Uh, we could go on forever on this, but the other big one is that time duration of the project is also one that sort of gets my blood boiling every once in a while because I saw it in the on-premise world where people said, oh, let's do this rapid deployment. And you hear these stories of mm -hmm. we did it in three months and we did it here. You know, understand what your organization is like. And if you've never done a technology project in three months, you are not going to do anything in success factors in three months. Yeah. It doesn't. Doesn't matter, I don't, doesn't matter what the salespeople told you. It doesn't matter what the consulting firm told you. And I'll tell you why. Because they understand that once they get their foot in the door, and it's the same thing with the rapid deployment sometimes I find, is they know they're using this to get their foot in the door. They know once they get their foot in the door, they'll say, oh, oh, geez, oh you didn't say you wanted this. Oh, you didn't say you wanted that. Mm -hmm. And what you have at the end of the day is you had bad expectations to start as a customer. And ultimately, the sad part of it is if you know what you wanted, but you decided to put your head in the sand and say, we're going to do it in three months, but you really wanted something else, you're going to get it delivered in nine months, but you're probably going to pay more money at the end of the day because of all these 
stops and mm -hmm. starts and yeah. do we really need it and this and that. So set a realistic time frame for your implementation. You know your organization. You know your decision-making process. Don't, don't get sucked in to say we can do something in three months where it really needs to be nine months. Take that nine months, do it right, and know that now you're going to be able to use the software for the next five to ten years. And, you know, if you shortchange yourself on the front side, you're going to pay for it mm -hmm. in the long run anyways. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, these software systems um, are often sort of foundational, right? So it, it pays to put in a good foundation to do it right the first time because after you put in that foundation you're going to build stuff on top of it you're going to keep going not, none of this just ends I mean there's always additional development and expansion and additional modules so if you get the foundation put in right you'll be much better off um, it's, it's tough though right because some of these systems especially the ones that are more transactional it's hard, hard to justify because you know there's really no apparent uh, return on investment other than we've got to do this or else we won't be able to pay people, right? So that happens sometimes, but that's a, that's a tough justification to get to. Well, interesting stuff, Jared. You know, I, I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of what you've mentioned um, has been good in the on-premise world for years and has been uh, valuable in the, um, in the mainframe world prior to that. I don't, you know, a lot of this stuff hasn't changed. A lot of it's just about um, you know, how do we do good projects and um, good points all around. So I really appreciate your, your uh, perspective on that. Excellent. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, have a good one.